0: Warning, this is a horror podcast, an unsettling by design. If certain topics may present a harmful trigger for you, we urge you to check the show notes before proceeding.
1: Happy spooky October, everybody. Welcome to Dead North, Minnesota horror theater for your ears, an oncoming production. As usual, I'm Sean Dillon, your host and MC for the next couple hours, here to share with you some delightfully varied audio horror from an equally varied collection of Minnesota performance makers. On that note, in celebration of the spooky season, we gathered up a larger-than-usual bullpen of creators, enough so that we're breaking our October offerings into two acts. So after you've listened to this first, be sure to keep an eye and ear out for the second on your podcast feed. Ordinarily, we offer up an episode theme, mainly as a launchpad to inspire our theater makers. This time around, we decided Halloween itself was enough. Turns out we were absolutely right. The work is amazing. Still, themes tend to creep in even when we aren't looking for them. And to me, the group of six pieces you are about to enjoy are unified in their exploration of how people, and occasionally animals, attempt to maintain normalcy in the face of the weird and horrific. They ask the question, how do we find our footing again when the inexplicable turns our world upside down? And what happens if we fail? Timely. Terrifyingly timely. Anyhow, let's get down to it. Starting off Act 1, we have The Yip of Cthulhu by Maximum Verbosity.
2: From the Journal of Daniel Oliver Gilman, Monday, August 26, 2013 I must strive to remain rational, for surely reason, and reason alone is the faculty which divides us from the lower beasts of this earth who grunt and crawl about on all fours It is the capacity that ennobles the human spirit above all others, if the human spirit is indeed a thing which can be ennobled, a supposition that I have of late been given copious cause to doubt. Yet still I find that I must trumpet the cause of reason. Reason. Human. Reason. Above all else. If only because it was no long time ago that I found myself Bereft of its beneficence, reduced to a naked, howling, gibbering thing upon which I shudder to reflect. All of which I discussed at length with the psychiatric professionals at the Anoka Metro Regional Treatment Center, and over time I grew to trust their judgment, if only because my own had grown so warped. Nevertheless, I could not share their confidence in my ability to once again navigate the sprawling world beyond the center's walls. As I rode the 805 away from the facility to the Northtown Transit Center, I reaffirmed my resolution that whatever course the healing of my mental rift might take, I must not allow myself to reflect upon the sheaf of crumbling manuscript papers so dearly bought, which currently molders in a safety deposit box under my name, in a U.S. bank branch attached to a Byerly supermarket. My parents, though ill-equipped to comprehend the limits of human reason to which I have been drawn, have attempted to aid my psychic healing in their own minute way and procured for me a puppy of the Bashan Fries breed. They are noble animals. The favored court dogs of medieval Europe and one of their brethren appears even in the unicorn tapestries perched upon an embroidered pillow, head tilted in a posture of canine curiosity. I confess that I have visions of myself poring over some antique text while he lies curled patiently at my feet, or of walking half-crouched through the halls of some ancient, nameless city, faithful hound trotting at my heels. Befitting a creature of such solemn dignity, I have bestowed upon him the name of Bruder. I anticipate many long hours of profitable study together, far away from the parchment scrawl in antique Latin that I know can bring me no manner of mental good. From the Journal of Bruder, Monday, August 26, 2013. I am Puppy! A Puppy! 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 Puppy has new master! Puppy has new name! New name now Bruder! Bruder is Puppy, and Puppy is Bruder! Puppy! From the Journal of Daniel Oliver Gilman, Saturday, November 23rd, 2013. It is with the greatest of regret that I must observe the frailty of my own resolve. Not even six weeks had passed. Six nearly sleepless weeks in which what sleep I did have was haunted by visions of alien vistas and vast cyclopean cities. And soon exhaustion left me no recourse but to exhume those forbidden pages. If I could not escape my visions, I would seek to purge them through sheer and sleepless indulgence. Even now, After countless hours of tedious study, my hands tremble as they touch them, these pages long thought lost from the fabled Necronomicon. But now I lay them out before me, alongside textbooks from my days as a Catholic schoolboy and my copy of Cassell's Latin Dictionary in a fervid effort to unlock their hoary secrets. They tell. Of a fathomless terror that slumbers beneath the waves of the south pacific a terror that will one day rise all of this is familiar to any casual student of the text but the truth that i have uncovered is the where and the when a longitude and a latitude and the date by all that is holy and unholy a date Which is difficult to decipher, as it hinges upon a peculiar alignment of the stars. But a date that is, I am now convinced, soon. Perhaps within the year. But I cannot focus upon the darkened scroll for two minutes without this squalling puppy nipping at my toes. There is nothing in this world that I shall love so much as this creature loves to lick, to bite to gnaw upon the soles of my feet. I bend down to chase him away. Yet again and again he returns, thrusting his cold, wet nose between my digits. I have lectured him with firm tone and irrefutable logic on the error of his ways, yet he persists in nipping and biting and whining pitifully when I forbid him from nipping and biting. The thought that my grand purpose could be derailed by a fiend whose goals are so pathetically myopic is an irony from which I derive no manner of amusement. From the Journal of Bruder, Saturday, November 23rd, 2013. Bruder loves Master. And Master loves Bruder, but Master is very stupid. Bruder tries to train Master, but Master does not listen. Master spends too much time looking at paper. Paper makes Master sad. Master needs to play. PLAY PLAY PLAY! Bruder bites Master to remind him, but Master too stupid to understand. Bruder, in despair, From the Journal of Daniel Oliver Gilman, Monday, February 17th, 2014. I... I... I have found it! I, Daniel Oliver Gilman, graduate school dropout, have made the discovery missed by so many accredited and rigorous scholars before me. Oh, well, they uncovered the what. It is I, and I alone, who has uncovered the when and the where. Now, the when turned out to be surprisingly simple. Friday, February 28th, 2014. As for the where, (laughs) it is not easy. I have booked a flight. From Minneapolis to Portland, from Portland to Tokyo, from Tokyo to Guam, from Guam to Truk, from Truk to Pompeii, three days all told. Now, in Pompeii, I may charter a ship to take me to the precise coordinates, and once there, I may speak the unspeakable words to raise the unspeakable thing beneath us. I shall be the key to unlock the door to a new. And abhorrent world. It is with the greatest of regret that I realized that I must bring this tattered remnant of a dog with me. My friends were too few and my parents too enfeebled to accept responsibility for his well being. Will I or won't I, he shall accompany me to my encounter with an intellect greater. Than either of ours. From the Journal of Bruder, Monday, February 17th, 2014. Poor Bruder. Bruder loves Master, even though Master is stupid and helpless. Bruder bites toes to remind him, but Master pushes him away. Bruder deserves better, but loves Master anyway. Bruder is better than paper. Master needs to play. Play, play, play Paper makes Master sad. Bruder Must rescue, Master. From the Journal of Daniel Oliver Gilman, Sunday, june fifteenth, twenty fourteen. My itinerary was executed, and the infernal creature barked and yipped and whined without pause throughout every flight. I derived a certain grim amusement from noting that the other passengers regarded him with as much loathing as I. I was seized by a spirit of anxiety for the duration of our sea voyage upon a two-masted schooner known as the Emma, and often paced the decks, murmuring to myself in wild-eyed distraction. The one pleasure the trip afforded was the realization that my traveling companion was every bit as miserable. The maritime spirit of his water-spaniel ancestors clearly found in him no expression. He would totter clumsily about the deck, swaying and leaning in a chaplain-esque waddle, often pausing to vomit. At last, we arrived at the coordinates, and my shipmates dropped anchor. I pulled out the crumbling parchment and began, in my best stentorian manner, to intone their contents almost immediately the blue sky darkened and black storm clouds sprang into the air one of the sailors uttered that he had never witnessed such a phenomenon in all his long years of seafaring i ignored him as i ignored the puppy who was for the first time on this pelagic journey fully animated barking furiously pattering about my feet leaping against my torso The sailors, cried out in terror, and brooders, yipping and howling, rose above theirs. My own voice rose, and echoed with a force that it has never held either before nor since. I rattled through the Latin with a fluency that far exceeded my own limited study, and I knew that I could not stop, even if I wished to. And I did not wish to. I was panting, now approaching the climax of the ritual. Several of the sailors dropped to their knees, pleading with me to stop their pitiful whining, now indistinguishable from that of the dumb beast which nipped at my heels. I whipped away page after page until there was only one left, the final page or its remnants, for it had, with careful diligence, been torn into strips. I attempted to mouth the the few words I could discern, yet it seemed as though I had stumbled into an actor's nightmare, desperately improvising against a script that had been lost. I felt the dark spirit that had lent me its terrible animation evacuate my lungs, and I stood, a chubby, awkward fool clinging to a ruined parchment. Above us, the clouds began to part. I glanced down to see the idiotic beast looking up at me, panting, tail wagging, tongue lolling, newly revealed sunlight glancing off his wide, dark eyes, and I have never known in my heart a hatred so dark and terrible. I scooped him up with one hand and pitched him over the railing he gave out a pitiful yelp before vanishing beneath the darkened, roiling waters. Some of the sailors wrestled me to the ground, and their foul sweat-drenched limbs engulfing mine as my last memory before being claimed by a m- merciful faint. <sighs> and here I sit, once more interred within the bowels of the Anoka Metro-Regional Treatment Center. Now confined to a straitjacket, arms pinned to my sides, my bare feet spread out before me. I have an itch on my calf, and I cannot scratch it. I am dictating this narrative to a member of the staff. They fear that, given a writing implement, I would use it to carve out my own eyes. And they are right to fear. I have failed more profoundly than any mortal before me. My one accomplishment was sending that hideous brute to his watery demise. I think of the desperate panic that must have seized him as water flooded into his lungs and I cackle with such hysterical (laughs) delight, that I may never stop. (sighs) I must pause. The kindly staffer recording my thoughts informs me that the next stage of my therapy is about to begin, one they believe I will find uniquely profitable. I admit I retain enough of a spirit of curiosity that I can almost forget that unreachable itch crawling up my calf. I shall throw myself upon their ministrations, and calmly accept whatever new manner of healing they bring through that door. From the Journal of Bruder, Sunday, June 15th, 2014. Master took Bruder swimming! Oh, Bruder swam. Bruder was majestic. All observed Bruder's fine swimming and respected him. Then other men came. They swam well, but not as well as Bruder. They took Bruder out of the water, but Bruder was generous and forgave them. Bruder has finally been reunited with Master! Bruder and Master have special room, room for just the two of them! Master has finally learned! Bruder bites Master's toes, and Master does not push him away anymore! Bruder can bite Master's toes all he wants! Bad papers are gone, and Master no longer stops Bruder when he wants to play! PLAY PLAY PLAY!
1: The Yip of Cthulhu, written, performed, and produced by Philip Andrew Bennett Lowe, is excerpted from Maximum Verbosity's virtual theater anthology on the concept of irony with no reference to Socrates. Philip is a Chinese-American playwright and poet, storyteller and mime, theater critic and libertarian activist, and founder and host of the country's only recurring open mic dedicated to speculative fiction, The Not-So-Silent Planet, and its associated podcast. Check out his further work and future appearances at MaximumVerbosityOnline.org. H.P. Lovecraft and his Cthulhu mythos are to modern horror what Freud is to modern psychology. Towering, seminal figures in their fields, from whom their fields would maybe like to distance themselves a bit, for both personal and artistic reasons. Still, we only parody those things we love, and this was lovingly crafted. A wonderful evocation of his style and a cheerfully delivered takedown. And another data point in the case that dogs make nearly anything better. Next up, we have The Cabinet of Cursed Objects by Destiny A. Davison.
3: Hello, can everyone hear me okay? Wonderful. Wow, what a brilliant turnout. 23 listeners already. Hello to you, and thank you for being here. My name is Millicent Webb, once a fellow patron, much like yourself, now the lead curator of our beloved cabinet, I'm so glad to see that so many of you were able to find your way to our virtual listening room this evening, (laughs) like Julia Sanford, who just logged on. Great to have you join us tonight, and we notice that you've already made a bid. That's fantastic. This is all overwhelming, really. We can't thank you enough for being here today. I know we would have all much preferred to welcome you in person to the cabinet's ballroom here in Ashe Grove, but as you may have heard, the asbestos situation is still quite dire. That said, we hope to have the matter resolved before the first snowfall. Wouldn't that be grand? You could be spending your holidays here with us, we would love to have you. Before I kick off tonight's event, I need to especially thank the cabinet's longtime benefactors, Cyrus, Morgan, and Marshall. Their firm has for years now single handedly kept our dear cabinet afloat. I couldn't imagine where we'd be or, more importantly, where the objects that call this place home would be without their support. Thank you, Cyrus, Morgan, and Marshall. We have received your most recent, most generous donation and we'll be sending you one of our world-famous fruit baskets. You can expect it to arrive at your doorstep shortly now to the reason why you are all here to peruse the items we have selected special for tonight from the cabinet some of you may already be familiar with our work and the kind and nature of the objects we specialize in That is to say cursed objects they're most often called and while we use that word for marketing purposes I much prefer words like lively or personable many of the objects we store here do get restless they like us want to get out and see the world and honestly there is only so much space here at the cabinet our halls are quite full so if you are interested in purchasing one of the many carefully curated items in our collection some of which you will have be hearing about tonight Please summon Theodore, who mans our desk. Theodore can be reached at my name is Theo at Cabinet.com Again, that email is my name is Theo T as in Tom, H as in Hell, E as in Earth, and O as in Olive at cabinet.com Theodore is in charge of all inquiries and sales here at the cabinet. He is eager to help you find the item that best suits your needs. Again, if an object in our collection catches your eye and you have a mind to take it home with you, I implore you Please do. Speaking of, if you wear shoes, you may be interested in a mysterious pair of shoelaces that showed up recently at our doorstep. Some of you may be familiar with the story of the night fire at Klugman's Boot Factory. The press said it was an accident, but any truly inquiring mind can tell you that what happened that night was exceptional. Klugmans specialized in workman's wear, strong boots with rubber soles, and thickly weaved 100% cotton shoelaces. The shoelaces in particular were made to withstand heavy wear, pulling Nagging and gnashing. You name it, you could hang a man with the shoelaces if you needed to. Maybe that's why the last pair of shoelaces to come off the assembly line that evening had been born with a mind of their own. It happens sometimes, it's simple math. Objects made by mortal hands bestowed with Mortal ideas and a conscious mind of their own. But this time was different. This time, this special pair of clubman's workman wear shoelaces had a very specific idea in mind. To seed chaos wherever it could be grown. There is still not an accurate report on how the fire started and who started it, but the youngest clubman brother, Dean, was seen wearing the shoelaces on his way out from work at least an hour before the end of his scheduled shift. We asked him many times over the years what exactly happened that night, and his answer is always the same. He says... They took me, they kept me, they made me, they left me. And that's been true for anyone that's found themselves in the snares of Clubman's shoelaces. Take uh, Elena Perkins, for example. She found the shoelaces now tied to hiking boots at a rummage sale for 30% off. Seemed like a good idea at the time. But then the shoelaces started giving Elena new ideas. Stay out late, sleep when you're dead, that sort of thing. One night, the shoelaces took Elena for a walk down to Purgatory Lake and left her there. We have reached out to the representatives of Elena's ghost to get her side of the story, but have yet to hear back. Uh, that reminds me, the Fangtooth comb is still looking for a home. Known for its aforementioned fangs, the Fangtooth comb subsists on a diet of brains alone and does not discriminate between scalps. If this sounds up your alley, please summon Theodore. The fang-tooth comb can teleport at will, and has been known to place itself inside cabinet restrooms and lounge areas, hoping to ensnare an unsuspecting head. We would like to get rid of it as soon as possible, so place your bid today. Also still available is the unmarked cassette tape which has single-handedly destroyed every library it has ever been a tenant in. The tape is said to have originated in a one-story house in Hangnail, Arizona in 1994. That is all we know. Those that have listened to the tape, the ones so alive, that is, have used keywords such as, get it away from me, and, oh god, the horror... I personally have not listened to the unmarked cassette tape, but it is on my bucket list. Lastly for this evening, I'd like to introduce you to a very special resident here at the Cabinet. The door that follows you. The door stands nearly seven feet tall and is made of a sturdy maple, stained black with a golden knob in the shape of an owl's head. I know this because I've seen it, and once you've seen it, there is no going back. It's just a door with no walls or ceiling to steady it, or make it stay put. But, what's truly remarkable about this specific door is that it can find you anywhere. In the city, in the desert, in a shopping mall, in your very home. And, uh, once it finds you, it follows you. Even now, I can see the door with me in this very room and if I'm not careful I could mistake it for the door leading out to the cabinet hallway and walk right through it but I can't do that because I know as some of you listening may also know that anyone that has ever gone through the door that follows you has never come back out not ever While the door is not currently for sale, it's become something of a badge of honor here amongst us cabineteers to have the door follow you, too. So if you're interested, close your eyes, breathe in deep, and think of a tall black door with a golden knob in the shape. Of an owl's head. And I promise you, the door will find you. I hope you've enjoyed your time with us this evening. Again, if any of the objects mentioned today have piqued your interest, summon Theodore by email at thisistheocabinet.com. He is eager to help you. And, if you have a cursed object in your possession, please also send Theodore an email. We would love to take it off your hands and find it a new home. Take care. This has been Millicent Webb, lead curator at the Cabinet of Cursed Objects. Till then, good night.
1: That was Destiny A. Davison's Cabinet of Cursed Objects. Destiny is a writer, illustrator, cartoonist, and multimedia maker from the Midwest. Her works explore the real, the unreal, and the in-between. And more information can be found at destinydavison.com. That's Davison with an O, not an E. I mentioned up top the theme of normalcy confronting the otherworldly. Sometimes we maintain normalcy by folding the remarkable into it. Yesterday's miracle or disaster is today's status quo, and that allows us to manage, to keep moving. But, as we all know after the last two years, hell, the last five years, normalizing the exceptional comes at a mental and emotional cost. I feel a deep empathy for the speaker in this piece, who is clearly on their last legs and has every reason to be. Deeply humane performance about something quite weird. Thanks, Destiny. Rounding out part one of our October offerings, we get a fresh look at one of Minnesota's biggest and most enduring traditions, the Minnesota State Fair. Special When Lit brings up Possible Burger.
4: You feel it first in your stomach the bubbles of anticipation rising in your guts. With each step, the anticipation shoots like lightning bolts to your fingertips and toenails, tingling, freshly struck with electric excitement. And there it is. Across the bustling Snelling Drive, seven flags alternating between land of 10,000 lakes blue and cornstalk green, and below them, a long white sign, its font of the same colors declaring Minnesota State Fair. After having your ticket scanned via phone by a friendly staff member and a quick security sweep, you are transported to the great Minnesota get-together. Before Minnesota was officially a state, in 1855 to be exact, folks eagerly gathered to celebrate the territory's agriculture. 1859 was the first official Minnesota State Fair, however, it was not at the 322 acre grounds we know today until 26 years later in 1885. Before that, it rotated location between what is now downtown Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Rochester, Red Wing, Winona, and Owatonna. Minnesotans love the annual gathering, as do Wisconsinites, Iowans, and even North and South Dakotans. So much so that it is the largest state fair in the United States per daily attendance, with a record of 245,243 people in a single day. And it is second only to Texas in overall attendance. To some folks, these 12 days leading up to Labor Day are the bright spot of their entire year, filled with grandstand performances, 4-H projects crafted by little hopeful hands, the miracle of birth, sculpted butter princesses, a claustrophobic exploration of ye old mill, celebrity portraits made of seeds, a Minnesota water flight with samplings from around the state Brightly lit and somewhat impossible midway games. Free blood tests. Award winning livestock that just want to return to the cages they know. The best fiber arts from around the state. Pumpkins the size of small T-Rex skulls. A trip 156 feet into the air on the giant wheel. Or um, for the less adventurous, a feet dangling ride in the sky glider. Many complimentary reusable bags, and of course, food. Inhale deeply. Oh, an orgy of scents fill your nostrils. A slippery mess of grease, meat, gluten, and sugar. Approximately 300 food vendors dish up nearly 500 different delights. On average, 500,000 corn dogs are consumed each year. 20,000 gallons of milk is guzzled at the all-you-can-drink milk stand. And no wonder, (sighs) as 3 million Sweet Martha's infamous chocolate chip cookies are eaten daily. The fresh-cut french fry stand goes through 400,000 Minnesota-grown potatoes annually. Attendees also love their local corn, gobbling up over 300,000 ears a year. One of the highly-awaited announcements is the Minnesota State Fair New Foods list, and this year was no exception. 39 new foods made the cut, and fairgoers had their sights on trying all of them. Bacon-wrapped bananas dipped into melted peanut butter and swirled with dark chocolate and sea salt. Funfetti cake with a vanilla cheesecake and apple pie filling wrapped in pie crust and deep fried on a stick. Vegan faux fish sushi roll. Emu ravioli. The Pigginator. A pork tenderloin cooked in bacon grease and encrusted with pork rinds between two thick slices of honey crisp apple and topped with candied bacon. Eggplant chips with a basil pesto dip. Crispy oinks, a crispy curl piggy tail on a stick. The possible burger, made of a new blend of naturally sourced free-range Minnesota meat, grilled onions, and topped with a secret sauce. This is what Henry Martin couldn't wait to stick into his face. Like many Minnesotans, he'd been drooling over it since June nothing was gonna stand between that burger and his belly. Food critics agreed that it was the best of the new foods, maybe one of the all-time greats, or at least those that weren't vegetarians. Henry waited in the atrociously long line, impatiently running his hands through his blonde hair, and though he wanted to stray, the aroma tied him to his place like a tantalizing leash. Twenty minutes and fifteen dollars later, he had the succulent beauty in his hands.
0: Enjoy the taste of home. Everything in this burger is proudly raised or grown in Minnesota, because we truly believe you are what you eat!
2: Awesome!
0: It was a cloudy
4: day, and the meat was still steaming in the sixty-three degree air. Henry took another deep breath, teasing himself. The charcoal-cooked flesh waking its salivary glands. Yes, he drooled. He didn't care. This was between him and the possible burger. Henry took a big bite.
0: Mm, oh yes, yeah, mm, Jesus yes. <laughs> Henry
4: took another bite. Was it really this great, or was he just starving?
0: Oh shit, that's really great.
4: It really was that great. Henry didn't always buy into popular opinion, but damn, the critics weren't over exaggerating on this meaty treasure. It was unlike anything he had ever had. He tore mm. into the burger, oh. the juice dribbling down his chin. He oh. ate it with wild mm. abandon, oh, yeah. much to the dismay mm. of onlookers. Mm. Henry appeared to be a lion mm. engorging oh. himself on a kill mm, yeah. after the last tasty morsel. Henry sucked on each fingertip to capture any remaining sauce or crumbs. His instinct was to get back in line for seconds, but he had some restraint. There were many other new foods on this list, and his stomach wanted to welcome each one like a foodie's statue of liberty. Give me your salty, your sweet, your meal on a stick. Become a naturalized citizen of my stomach, thought Henry. Henry ripped himself away from the sensory bounds of the possible burger stand. He took his phone out of his pocket. It was already queued up to the Minnesota State Fair website, and he eagerly typed into the fair finder, crispy oinks. He wandered down to Judson Avenue, working his way through the early evening crowds. He stopped to try a new brew, the Maple Cinnamon Oat Stout, with a shot of butter on the side for the full Nordic hot porridge experience. He drank it a a little too quickly and found himself in line again, this time for a cranberry pear cider, which he also probably drank a little too quickly. The crispy oinks booth was speedy, and in no time he was holding two curly pigtails, one BBQ, one regular. He took one bite of the BBQ and smacked his lips happily, the sauce making his lips glossy. To his glee, he noticed straight ahead another new food high on his list. The piginator. He scurried over, crispy oink still in hand, and bumped shoulders with a man in a yellow rain slicker.
2: Whoa, hey, watch it, pig! Oh, eat a dick!
4: Henry then took a bite of his meat on a stick. A drum roll of thunder warned of the impending storm. People ahead of him in line looked up to the sky, and then hastily retreated. Henry stood his ground, and soon was fumbling for $13 in cash. He watched the teenage cook sprinkle the pork tenderloin with pork rinds. He then noticed the Robert A. Christensen Pavilion, otherwise known as the Swine Barn, right beside them.
2: What? Is this the before and after?
4: The teen looked at him blankly. Henry pointed at the swine barn.
0: A live
4: pig? Henry pointed at the piginator.
0: Dead pig. Uh huh.
2: The swine barn is like an advertisement for your product. Farmers could just march the pigs from the barn to your booth. Talk about freshness.
0: Your pork would still be
2: squealing.
0: Yeah. I guess
4: so. Henry was given the Pigonator, and almost instantly the sky shattered into a downpour. Henry stumbled to the nearest building, juggling his pork trio. The world was tilting to the left and blurred at the edges. He had drank that cider a little too quickly. Once he was safe inside the structure, He leaned against a cool, cement wall, panting, heart-tap dancing in his chest.
2: Yeah, gotta get that BP
1: up.
4: He sucked in a deep breath, (sighs) inhaling the smell of hay, rain, and shit. He steadied himself and walked further into the pavilion. Despite the ceilings being tall, it felt claustrophobic with row after row of cages with wooden walls and metal gates filled with future sausages. Henry wandered by the oink booth, where a smiley volunteer offered him a pink paper crown in the form of pig ears. He gestured that his hands were full, so she placed it on his head. Henry nodded, indicating the pork in his hands.
0: Thank you. Big fan. Big fan.
4: Henry left the booth. He approached a sow and our 13 suckling piglets who were six days old. A socially awkward 4-H student picked up one of the piglets who squealed and squirmed in his grip. You can pet him (laughs) if you want to. Henry patted the head of the fresh new babe whose little blue eyes looked up at him quizzically.
2: Hey, bacon bit. I could put you on a stick and eat you right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
4: Wee! Wee! <laughs> Henry took a bite of one of his crispy oinks and laughed, cracking himself up. The piglet was shocked by the outburst and cried out, so the student returned the piglet to their mother. Henry then lurched forward down one row of pigs. It was near closing time for the swine barn, so farmers were shutting down for the night. Some pigs were eagerly awaiting a pre bedtime snack, their wet snoots between the bars of their cages, checking the air for a treat. Henry leaned over the cage door and looked down at a very friendly rusty red dew rock. He took a large bite of the Mm. Mm.
0: piginator.
4: The honey crisp apple slices, which were slightly seared, paired perfectly with the richness of the pork almost autumnal. And the crunch of the salty pork rinds with the sweet maple of the candied bacon? It was a luxurious pork fantasy. The do-rock raised his floppy ears and snorted, <coughs> which was universal pig language for, do you have food for me? Uh, are
0: you hungry? They're <coughs> <laughs> probably always hungry. <coughs>
4: The rock threw his head back, snoot in the air, and grunted. <coughs> Henry looked at the food that remained. It was all pig products. He took a bite of the BBQ crispy oink and the rock squealed. <coughs> his sensitive nose could smell the smoked paprika, brown sugar, garlic, and he wanted a taste. Henry looked around. No one was watching. He dropped the remaining BBQ pigtail into the cage. The do-rock immediately ate it, smacking his lips. Henry laughed, scratched the pig's floppy ears.
0: You like that, huh? You're so stupid.
2: You're eating yourself.
4: The Duroc looked him in the eye and snorted.
0: Mm. You want more? Well, now you understand how I feel. You are delicious.
4: A clap of thunder shook the barn. Henry took another bite Mm. of the Pigonator and walked Mm. down the row of piggies, oinking at them. There were several pink ones, but breeders would say the correct color is white due to the little wiry white hairs that cover their bodies. These were the Yorkshire and Chester Whites. There were also Hampshires, which looked like cream cookies with black heads and bums, and a white stripe across their shoulders and front legs. Hereford and Spotted Hogs were variations of black, white, and ginger and often resembled round, short cows with their markings. Berkshires were primarily black, with little white patches on their face or hooves, and of course, more stout, red-headed dewrocks. Some were slumbering, sometimes spooning side by side in a pen, buried as deep as they could in the fresh sawdust. One feisty Hurriford with a red spot over its left eye was thumping his empty food bowl, announcing that he was done and needed seconds. A ten-year-old girl, her dark hair braided into pigtails, had a white hog with black spots laying their head across her lap. Good boy, Sir Oinkflat. Sir Oinksalot was grunting gently as she scratched behind his floppy ears. When she would stop, he would squeal until she started again. Reminded Henry of a sizable Dalmatian versus a pig. One Berkshire was being guided with a thin rod back to his pen. Her chin looked like it was dipped in milk, and the rest of her ebony body was wet from a fresh bath. She was grunting, very satisfied. Pigs can't sweat, so the cool bath
0: was a relief. The swine barn is closing to the general public. Thanks for coming to the Minnesota State Fair, folks, and have a good night. Come back tomorrow at 8 a.m. for the Poland China, Chester White, Spotted Hogs, Yorkshire Land Race Supreme Champions, and at 4.30 p.m. for Minnesota Junior Barrow Classic Skillathon. Several rows
4: of lights went out overhead, signaling that it was time to leave. Henry took his last bite of the Paganator and wiped the bacon grease from his hands. He needed to pee, but when he looked at the restrooms there was a line, even for the men's. Apparently everyone needed to relieve themselves before exiting. Also, it was still storming. It is impossible to hold in urine while listening to the steady stream of rain, and being submerged in it only made it worse. Also, it was far away. Maybe he held it too long. Or maybe it was because he was accidentally drunk. But Henry didn't want to wait for the restroom line and he realized there was an alternative. The bathed pig had come from the back of the pavilion where the shower stations must be. He teetered over and was happy to find the space empty and dark. In the shadows, he could make out a row of metal stalls against the back wall. He lurched towards the remotest corner, in an effort to avoid any other fairgoers.
0: <laughs> That'd be a foot long than they wouldn't expect. Pow
4: Henry tripped on an uneven piece of concrete. Duh! He put the last bites of the regular crispy oink in his front pocket for safekeeping, took out his phone, and shined the flashlight at the ground. He saw a smooshed oink booth crown, a couple metal drains, herds, and finally, a brick wall. He worked his way to the corner, and once there, he put his phone in his rear pocket, he undid his jeans, and took out his not-foot-long. A steady stream of hot piss hit the brick and cement. Henry felt oddly free, whizzing into the void. The urine smelt of garlic and hops. He was definitely dehydrated. Henry finished, shook twice, and zipped up. How could it be darker than it was 10 minutes ago? He attempted to find his way in the pitch black, but after a couple steps, Henry whipped out his phone flashlight. Directly in front of him was a pig. Shit! The pig was perfectly pink and plump. She stared at him intensely with one brown eye and one blue eye, Her large ears stood straight in the air. What
2: are you doing out here?
4: Henry rotated the light around the pig. They were alone. The pig continued to stare at him.
2: Okay, pork belly. I gotta go.
4: The pig stood her ground.
2: Here, do you want some crispy oink? Your cousin in
0: there LOVED it.
4: Henry pulled the last of the pork from his shirt pocket. He peeled it from the stick and slowly approached, offering it with an open palm. The pig raised their quivering snout. He could see its nostrils pulsing as she tasted the air. Come on!
1: Come on, dum-dum!
4: It's food! Food! The pig looked at the meat, and then, in one powerful swoop, the swine whipped its head up and hit Henry's hand with her large, hard skull. The crispy oink went flying. Hey! Henry recoiled, his hand throbbing with a rush of hot pain. His stomach flipped. A flash of nausea. Henry dropped his phone and cradled his injured digits. The flashlight beam shot like a beacon towards the ceiling. The swine's head, cast in shadow, reemerged from the darkness. The blue eye flickered like a bright flame full of ancient intelligence. The pig took the phone in her scarlet mouth and sprinted across the back of the pavilion. Henry hadn't expected something so stout to be so fast. He could track it by the pinprick of light zooming through the space like a possessed Tinkerbell.
2: Get back here!
4: Henry tripped on that same piece of concrete from before and fell to his knees, smashing one open. God damn it! The world was twirling, and he didn't know what direction was what, but he saw that light. That light dancing in the night. He hobbled on his hands and knee for a moment, till he could rise up for the chase. He sucked in a breath, <sighs> adrenaline <sighs> kicking in, and he pushed uh. through the pain, like a quarterback with an injury, but so close to touchdown. The pig runs into a stall, and Henry follows her in.
2: <laughs> so stupid! This is a dead end.
4: He reached for the phone and found his hand submerged in a pile of wet sawdust. Not a pig's mouth. What? Henry spun around frantically. There was no pig in the pen. The door, which was of horse height, wouldn't budge.
1: Let me out!
4: No.
2: Wait, who the hell are you?
4: I am known by many names.
0: Pick one!
4: Henry tried the door again, hurling his body full force into the structure. Nothing but more pain. He went to the back wall and prepared to run at the door again, but slid to a halt.
1: Uh. Uh. Uh.
4: There was the pig, standing in front of him inside the stall. Uh. Uh. How?
5: I am known as the White Sow. Credwin, Celtic sorceress of transformation, and guardian of the underworld. I am the sacred companion of Demeter, she of the grain, Greek goddess of the harvest and fertility of the earth. I am the Hildisphini, Nordic Freya's battle swine. I am the Glosin, the demon bore Swede's fear. But to you, I am a mere pig, a sow, to be exact, a mother of piglets.
2: Did I eat some bad pork?
1: I gotta have a fever.
4: Henry felt his sweaty forehead and leaned against the wall. The sow stared at him, her brown and blue eyes boring through him. It felt as if the stall was closing in. It wasn't bad pork, but it was
5: bad behavior. I did what everyone else does. You gave a swine flesh of their flesh. They
2: chose to eat it. It's not my fault.
5: You have no respect for what you consume. Pigs were once sacred animals sacrificed to goddesses. Our bones placed into graves as a blessing. Our death had ceremony now you shove as much of us as you can into your gullets
4: and then feed the rest of us to our kin. Her eyes glowed red. His phone! Henry knelt down and fumbled for the phone, its light still shining. His hands were slick with his own blood. He tried to call 911. There was no signal. The battery was at 2%. Help
2: me out!
5: Help! Help! Do you know that we have names? Do you know who you eat?
2: Your food! Are you too stupid to understand that? You're bred to eat and be eaten!
5: You will know our fate.
4: The pig grew in size. She became covered in shaggy white hair. Mighty, curled tusks sprouted from her mouth. Her back became a serrated edge, bursting with large, sharp, saw-like teeth. Her ruby eyes were like twin bonfires. Henry could feel the heat from them. She snorted and steam snaked out of her nostrils. Her hooves were like obsidian spears, ready to pierce flesh. She was the Glossin. No one will hear you squeal. Henry summoned his strength and raced forward, leaping for the door. However. The Glowson dove between Henry's legs, her spines cutting through his groin and up through his belly. Ah! The Glowson bucked, lodging her weaponry through his ribcage, slashing his liver and stomach in two. Henry fell to the ground like a human wishbone, split and ready to be snapped. The Glowson obliged, and with one hoof, snapped his ribcage right into his heart. Henry's pink paper pig ears were still on his head, now splattered red with his blood. The following morning, The Possible Burger stand received a delivery of fresh meat from their on-site butcher.
0: Oh wow, this meat is so rich and tender! As the vendor prepared the meat, she found several strands
4: of blonde hair. A customer approached the stand and she greeted them
0: enthusiastically. Welcome to Possible Burger! Every burger is made of a new blend of naturally sourced, free-range Minnesotan meat. Curiously, no death was reported and no trace of Henry Martin
4: was ever found. Henry was right. The possible burger was the most popular new food that year, selling 400,000 burgers. And they planned on returning in the future to feed more local cuisine to hungry Minnesotans. Because
0: we truly believe you are what you eat. Thank you for listening to Special Lit's Possible Burger by Nyssa Nordland Morgan. This play featured the vocal talents of Zach Morgan as Henry, Lauren Anderson as Possible Burger Vendor, Teen Cook, and Barn Intercom, Nyssa Nordland Morgan as Narrator and 4-H Kid, Sam Landman as the Slicker Man, Kayla Dvorak Feld as the Sacred Pig and Little Girl, and featuring the voices of pigs from the Minnesota State Fair. Sound design, mixing, and music also by Nissa Nordland Morgan.
1: I don't think this piece comes as any great surprise to anyone who knows Nissa Norland Morgan at all well. She is deeply fond of pigs, and maybe state fair pigs especially. And honestly, what's not to love? What really hits me about this piece is one of the things that I most love about Minnesota. Beneath all the human fuss, it feels like there is something bigger underneath something more than, that doesn't answer to us. In quiet moments, standing in my own urban backyard, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. The notion that an ancient hog god would make itself at home at the great Minnesota get-together, quietly enacting vengeance on the unworthy, doesn't feel at all strange. It feels exactly right. Well, as I said, that closes out part one, We're releasing a part two this October with pieces from three more creators, including yours truly. So keep an eye on your podcast feed. Dead North is produced by Sean and Mallory Dillon of Oncoming Productions, with assistance from Kyle Decker and Jacob Gulliver of Hot Chocolate Media. Our theme music is by Eric Ostrom. The rights to individual pieces presented are retained by their creators. Each episode of this podcast involves the creative and technical talents and efforts of a sizable number of people including the performers and writers whose work you've just enjoyed. We want to pay these people because their work has value. We don't have ads or sponsors, so we need your support to do that. To support this podcast and its ability to compensate artists for their time, please visit UncomingProductions.com. Think of it as buying a season ticket to this dark little theater for your ears. And if you're interested in sponsoring Dead North, we would love to hear from you. In the meantime, this is your host, Sean Dillon, signing off. Stay safe out there.